On this episode, we talk about sports photography at the Olympic level. This is Behind the Shot. Hi, once again, welcome to Behind the Shot, the show where we try and get inside the mind of great photographers by taking a closer look behind one of their shots from conception to completion and all those stories and challenges that happen in between. I'm Steve Brazel. And before we get to today's guest, which to say that he's a legend in the area that he photographs is quite a bit of an understatement. And my second Canon Explorer of Light in a row, I love interviewing Canon Explorers of Light. A couple of reminders for you. First of all, if you want to subscribe to this podcast, all the links that you need are on the website, which is behindtheshot.tv, along with the show notes for each and every episode. So this episode will have a blog post associated with it, and all the links that we talk about and all of my guest information, a small gallery of my guest work, can also be found on that website. Also, if you have a podcast app, you can just search for Behind the Shot. It's available in both video or audio, assuming that your podcast app actually supports video. But if not, you can also find the video on my YouTube channel for Behind the Shot. <clears throat> Excuse me. One other thing to remind you of, actually two things to remind you of. First of all, I want to thank Aaron Nace of Flern because when he was on a month or so ago from the time this episode airs, he shared with us a 20% discount code if you sign up for a subscription at Flern. And all you got to do, and by the way, if you're watching video, this is popping up on the screen right now, which makes it easier, but it's Behind the Shot 20, the number 20, no spaces behind the shot 20. That'll get you 20% off a discount at Flurn, which is a great online education site. And I still think Aaron Nace is one of the best educators that's out there. Flickr. If you're not a Flickr member, go sign up at least for the free Flickr account or for a Flickr Pro account and find the group behind the shot. If you join the behind the shot group, I'm going to start doing some stuff with Don Komarechka. In fact, right now you can actually submit images for the first critique show that I'm going to do with Don Komarechka of Photo Geek Weekly Podcast. And all you got to do is submit your image or, or add your image to the group behind the shot and make sure that you tag it all one word like a normal tag, right? BTS critique. On Flickr, you don't need the hashtag. It's just tag it. BTS critique. That'll get you into the pool so that we can search, select a few images, and we're going to do a show and we're going to do uh, some critiquing. And that brings us up to today's guest. Now, today's guest, as I mentioned, is a Canon Explorer of Light. I want to welcome Peter Reed Miller to the show. Peter, thank you for joining me. Steve, thank you for having me. It's great. Uh, I know about you for your work, <clears throat> but also because you were recently out by me for the F64 Live uh, conference that they did. So let's talk about you a little bit in your history. You are, you're mostly known, and correct me if I'm wrong here, because I do research, but you know, Google's not always right. Okay. <laughs> yeah. You're mostly known for live sports photography, but you also do athlete portraits. You've done a number of those, like the gold athletes uh, and event type stuff. Am I correct? Yeah, and I was really fortunate. Uh, most of my career was at Sports Illustrated, and uh, I was kind of there is a certain kind of uh, you know putting people in categories, but I was able to kind of jump back and forth between being the portrait guy and being the action guy, and I found that really added a lot to my interest and enjoyment in my career. You know, you you mentioned Sports Illustrated. Having a career that lasts, especially in what we do for a living, right? 
at one outlet, like at the level of Sports Illustrated for 35 years at Sports Illustrated, either on staff or as, as a contract photographer, is something that cannot be overstated, really, what what a pedigree that is. But individually, you've had clients, not just Sports Illustrated, Time Magazine, People Magazine, uh, Money, Playboy, New York Times, in, including individual company type things, not just outlets, but, right. you know, Canon, Nike, uh, Microsoft, Coca-Cola, ABC, NF, your 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 resume of clientele, both through Sports Illustrated and through yourself is pretty amazing. But here's where it gets interesting to me. You have shot more major sporting events than anybody that I'm aware of. So nine Olympics, right? Yes, correct. Correct. How many Super Bowls? Uh, 41 now. Four. Okay. So what year would that make your first Super Bowl? Well, my first Super Bowl, I missed a couple. I missed uh, two, I think, in there along along the way. But my first Super Bowl, geez, I can never get those Roman numerals. It was seven or eight, something like that. Um, it was in New Orleans before they built the Superdome. So, so. okay, so NFL's your thing. Yeah. 14 NBA Finals. Yeah. Stanley Cup Finals. Yeah. World Series. Yeah. Kentucky Derby. I, yes. I've got to know. Obviously, you have a, a higher number on Super Bowls, right? But every major sporting event, hockey, baseball, basketball, you know, whatever, Olympics, uh, football, even horse racing. Which one, if you could only shoot one type of sport, what would you pick? Well, uh, I mean, the Olympics is kind of a cheat answer because that's many, many sports. Uh, yeah, okay, I'll give down you that. To, yeah. Down to one, I really enjoy shooting football. I really do still to this day. I did two games this weekend. and uh, I mean, Which I games, games did you do this weekend? I did the Chargers on Sunday at home, and then I went up to San Francisco for the Monday night game. Uh, so, And then this weekend I'm doing, which is probably be the last time I ever do, a doubleheader. We've got a Charger game at 1. Uh, no, a Rams game at 1 in the Coliseum and a Charger game at 515 in uh, Dignity Health uh, Arena. And uh, a friend of mine and I are going to, them both or as much of both of them as we can. It, it you know you hit me with something with the olympics being a lot of different sports but but that brought a thought into my head if you could choose between have you have you shot both summer and, and winter olympics i've shot eight summers and one winter which did you like better aside uh, from the fact that you're warmer during the summer olympics. yeah yeah you know the winter i shot the winter in, in salt lake city uh so you know home country I had uh, spent a lot of time because I'm in LA. So in the lead up to that that event, I spent a lot of time. I knew the area, I knew the courses, I knew a lot of the people, like the venue photo managers. So it was a blast. Um, but I don't regret not doing any more. <laughs> I, I mean, the summers to me, I, I like some better than others, but but they're always, um, you know, they're 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 just great. They're a lot of fun. A lot of work. Yeah, I have a friend who does, uh, Mike Carlucci, who does announcing for Olympic hockey. Oh, wow. And uh, he also does, you know, if you watch any sports games on like PlayStation, he's the voice usually of the announcer mm -hmm. on those as well. Let's get into your education a little bit. 
because this is another area that I, I find a lot of Canon Explorers of Light do, partially because Canon encourages their Canon Explorers of Light to go do speaking engagements like the F64 Live thing that you did in Southern California, or, you know, to go to camera groups or to go to uh, camera stores and do speaking engagements. You do your own workshops, the Peter Reed Miller or PRM sports photography workshops, which if you're going to learn sports photography from somebody, 41 Super Bowls. Let's just throw that one in there again. <laughs> You've got one at the time this airs. At the time we're recording this, it's the the mid-October, but I believe this is going to air around November 7th. So assuming it does, this is a perfect time to get this one out there because you've got a workshop in Las Vegas, November 20th to 24th. And I will have the link for that in the blog post, but tell me about that workshop a little bit. Well, we've got some great things lined up and we're not even completely uh, through with lining things up. We have a UNLV football game and we also have UNLV uh, men's basketball. We have a uh, Bishop Gorman High School football game, which if you know anything about high school football, they are one of the uh, powers nationally in, in high school football. They're, they're tremendous. Uh, we have a uh, wonderful athlete, uh, Vashti Cunningham. She's a high jumper, Olympic high jumper. She's going to do some, we're going to do some setup shots with her. And I have uh, Steve Fine, the former director of Sports Illustrated, coming out to do a presentation, work with me on the critiques. I also have Jeff Batari, who's formerly, as so many people in business are, one of my assistants who's done quite well. He's a senior photographer for the UFC, the uh, you know cage fighting events, and he also works for the Golden Knights, uh, the NHL team. So I've been talking, Jeff is definitely going to speak to the class, and he's working on getting us access to some sort of event related to one of those, one of those uh, entities. So we're going to have a really good week. We're going to have a great time. And, and I, I love, I do karate myself, and a lot of the people that I train with do Muay Thai, and so, uh, and, and, uh, MMA type stuff. So I do photograph martial arts, mixed martial arts, stuff like that periodically. And I absolutely love it, but the level of the UFC would be, uh, amazing. So people, again, I just want to give the dates out again, November 20th to 24th. If you're watching this in 2023, no, it's already done. Uh, Sorry. It, it's, we're talking 2019 here, November 20th to 24th. Viva Las Vegas, the Peter Reed Miller Sports Photography Camp or Workshop. Workshop. And I will have a link for that in the blog post at BehindTheShot.tv. So let's get into some questions. And then the shot that we're going to do today, with which a mutual friend of ours turned me on to, as we were, you and I were going back and forth trying to pick shots. And he said, have you seen this one? And, and I'll, we'll get into that in a minute. But first of all, the type of stuff that you capture, both your portraiture and your live photography stuff seems to be so unique compared to the other people that do what you do. What is it that makes to you, I mean, today's shot is going to be a good example of that, actually. What is it to you that makes a really good sports photo? Or, or a better way to word it, what's a good sports photo versus a great sports photo? Well, that's, you know, um, first thing is the technology is so good today that it's harder and harder to define yourself because so many people are out there doing really good work that probably wouldn't be in photography where the camera's not so 
so much of an aid in making the picture. But, you know, I think a great sports photo, as we used to say at Sports Illustrated, it makes you stop turning the page. It makes Ooh. you stop leafing through and you go. Or now I guess it would say it makes you stop uh, clicking or, or sliding left or whatever. You know, it just stops you. And you go, wow. And you look at it and you kind of dig into it a little bit. And there's there's some depth there. And, uh, you know, I think I think that's it. I think it really is. Yeah. And, OK, so when you're when you're shooting today. I think the picture we're going to talk about today was film. But today, what's your go to bread and butter? Body and lens combination, if you could only have one body and one lens now, obviously, football and some of the sports stuff, you need longer glass. But in general, what would be your favorite lens and your favorite body? Well, currently, I'm using the Canon EOS uh, 1DX Mark II, which I think is pretty much the best thing out there as far as uh, action photography and uh, focus and, and, and sturdiness and the whole thing. It's a really good camera. Now, you know, I do mostly sports. So my go-to lenses are long glass. And, and I would say the 400 to eight, uh, it's probably the lens I use most. Um, I just used it for the first time. I, I used, nice cause one. I'm a, I'm a CPS member, uh, uh -huh. Canon professional services member, and we get loaners or evaluation loaners. And I got that 400 to eight. And I will say handheld. It's a beast. Now, did you get the series three? Yeah, the latest one. This was a month well, ago. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's that's actually. I mean, I don't handhold. I've never handheld them, but but that's certainly the lightest one they've made to this point. Um, you know, and they have some technology coming down the pike uh, with the diffractive optics, the DO, where uh, I've seen a prototype, and not this is not breaking any NDA because it was at a Canon show of a of a six hundred f four that's about this long and about this big around it looks like it's because of the diffracted op optics yeah yeah, yeah. Um, but was it so still they're getting heavy better though? and smaller but i usually 428 i usually use on a monopod was, was that diffracted optics one still heavy you know i didn't get to lift it <laughs> okay. but i will tell you they do make a 400 uh, millimeter f4 do this is the second version and it's not particularly heavier than a lens of that size Interesting. If you were not doing live, if you were doing portraits, what's your what's your favorite gear for that? Well, lately I've been using uh, Canon's new mirrorless, the R, and I've been using. Uh, they have a twenty-four to I think twenty-four to one hundred five, and uh, also they have a beautiful fifty millimeter f one point two. It's a beautiful, available light portrait, you know, great bokeh, all that stuff, and super sharp. I think one of the things about the mirrorless cameras is we've always had fast lenses on, on SLRs and DSLRs, but um, now they can be really sharp wide open because they, they have that much bigger opening. So um, that's kind of what I'm doing with portraits right now. I will, you know, I, I've used, uh, previously I used the, the, the uh 24 to 70 was another good portrait lens for me. Have you, I, I, just a thought, have you used the R for any of the pro live sports stuff? It's not quite there for that. It's, it's five frames per second. Um, oh yeah, that's right. 
Yeah, I know. It kills me because I, I really, it's nice and light. And I would love, because I always, I shoot now with a long lens on a monopod, a 400 or 600. And that's always with, with an EOS 1DX Mark II. Then I have a camera around my neck to kind of grab if something comes close. And I'm trying to go lighter and lighter with that as my neck gets, you know, stiffer and stiffer. So I wish that that can, I, I look at it longingly every week, but it's just not fast enough. Yeah, I, I, especially doing what you do, I'm sure that you use every frame per second that that 1DX yeah. Mark II does. Yeah. So let's get into today's shot because today is an unusual one. I have honestly, I've never seen a shot like this. I've never seen a shot live sports that is so clearly identifiable the instant you look at it as to what the scenario was that you were photographing almost i mean literally to the point of it being iconic so this photograph that we're going to talk about today is the opening ceremony for the Barcelona Olympics July 25th 1992 i looked up the date <laughs> this shot let, let me try and describe it because some people listen to an audio only version and usually they'll go to the website behind the shot.tv they'll look at the photo first and then they'll listen to it while they're in the car and about half of the audience watches the video version, which actually in this case is going to make it easier because there's a lot of stuff happening here. So this is an Olympic stadium in Barcelona. Now, I want you to think about an Olympic stadium. So, <clears throat> you know, you've got the tiered seating, you've got the area down at the bottom where the field is. And at the top, you have, you know, some iconic kind of, of uh, Spanish structures, things like that. So picture that. And the camera angle is from like the top seat of rows. And this is so perfect that when you see it, you instantly, know, oh, Olympics. You've got the cauldron lit up with fire. At the bottom, if you look really close, you can actually see a projection of the Olympic rings. So now you immediately know that you've got the cauldron, you've got the Olympic rings, and you've got everybody in the seats holding up lighters or phones in those days we yes we had phones they just flipped open but some sort of light at almost everybody's seat there's towers down below which i'm guessing are speaker towers and camera towers yeah here's a lighting, the thing. lighting grid for this stage okay yeah. so lighting uh rigs and here's the key coming very clearly from all the way down at the field in a beautiful arc all the way up to the cauldron is an orangey yellow line of a flaming arrow shooting right across the gas that had been coming out of that cauldron to light it. That's the shot. So this thing is just wow, amazing to me. I do want to give credit to one person, uh, the archer. I looked up his yeah. name. It's Antonio Rabolo. Um, he's a Paralympic archer and dude what a perfect shot man <laughs> yeah. is there anything peter that i missed in that description that you would add to this that we should know wow i mean you you actually came up with things that i hadn't thought about in a long time i mean i will say this was a beautiful stadium in barcelona it's not was not a modern all you know thrown up for the games kind of stadium like you see a lot now it, it's it's old and it's really ornate and there's a lot of nice little features so that certainly adds a little bit to it but um 
you know, I, I think, I mean, the whole secret to this picture is preparation. Um, you know, I got into Barcelona two, three days before the game, you know, flew all the way from LA, got in the afternoon, was kind of ready for dinner, glass of wine and go to bed. But, um, my boss and, and friend, uh, still to this day, friend, no longer boss, Steve Fine, who was the deputy picture editor at that time, said, no, uh, you're not. We're going to watch the rehearsal for the opening ceremony. Let, let me let me interject something. He was your boss. Were you shooting? Was this for Sports Illustrated? This is for Sports Illustrated. Yes. OK, I'm sorry. Go ahead. So um, so off we go. Uh, and it's really a very cool, the whole ceremony was very cool, very Spanish, very distinctive. But at the end, uh, this is what we learned. We learned, this is how they're going to light the torch with a flaming arrow. And so and we that was a secret around. at the time, because usually nobody knows how they're going to do it. It's become a bigger secret as time wore on. But I mean, nobody, they didn't hide the fact then. I think that was kind of the last time that they sort of kept it out. I mean, if you didn't go to the ceremony, you wouldn't know it wasn't announced. But if you went to the ceremony, you would see that they, you know, the setup and everything like that. So we, we walked around and the thing about the Olympics is um, pretty much everybody shoots the same thing from these same restricted photo areas. So we found a spot, not in a photo area where we could mount, I could mount a remote camera. This is a remote that's on a, clamp clamp to a pipe way up on as you said on the top row seats there and uh so when the time came you know i was actually i had a long lens for a shot of the archer which which ran so you weren't in this spot no no i wasn't far but i i I was not in the spot but i but but you were up high like this Uh, what body was this really quick while i'm thinking about it this is a this was a canon body it was a film camera and I'm really at a loss to remember the exact model number, but it was their top pro film camera of that time. And okay. um, it was a 20 millimeter lens, not a zoom, oh. just a fixed focal 20. Do you know what and, film you uh, would have shot this with? Pardon me? Do you know what film you would have shot this with? Where were we then? I believe, I think we were with Kodak. There was a, these, through the 80s and 90s, there was a lot of back and forth between Kodak and Fuji. But Kodak had the contract for the Olympics and also provided all the lab service for the Olympics. So therefore, they provided all the film for the Olympics. Okay. So if you've got 12 guys shooting thousands of rolls a day, you take the free film. <laughs> so yeah, we, it's yeah. a Kodak film. Uh, it's probably um, extachrome. I think uh, I think they had Nitrochrome 200 around that, um, and then the, the key was, and, I, and I, I I don't lay claim to anything, but I guess luck in the sense that it was just like open the shutter, you know, with the remote, and when the arrow went through and the torch lit, close the shutter. So you know, but, there was, but there you was, couldn't be watching through a viewfinder. You if you're doing no, it I remote, because I I shot the long shot and then I watched. Then, you know, as he let go of the arrow, I hit the button for the remote. And then as then I took my eye away and watched it go through. And as soon as it went through, I let off. So 
I figure it's about a quarter of a second. And I think I was at around F5, 6, or F8. But again, between the approximate nature of the whole thing and the approximate nature of my memory, uh, you know, this is, this is all I can say on this. There's I've no got heart. so many questions on that. So this is a, a okay, it's, re, it's a remote camera, and you mounted it with a clamp, 20-millimeter mm -hmm. lens, what made you choose 20 just because it's like, I don't know what's going to happen. I want to get wide. And then did you, well, I had I'm, I'm assuming you pre-focused on something. Yes. Yeah, so it's all pre-focused taped down. And I had a camera with me the night of the rehearsal. So I could, I could look and I could see, I don't think I had a 20 on it. I think I had like a 35, like say, okay, I'm going to need a 20 here. You know, it's a little better to be too wide than, right. you know, cut something off. So that, that just, happened to be the lens that worked. And also, I because, you know, even in the daytime as we were setting up, I can see the stage, I can see the, the torch, the cauldron. So I can pretty much zero in on that part of it. So it's really the, more... The, the release, was that cabled? Did they have yeah, infrared wire. releases then? No, no, it's hardwire. That's, I mean... Okay, so you're I, really I, close then. I use pocket wizards a lot, but in... When it comes down to it, and it has to fire a remote. The way to do it is with a hardwire. Interesting. That's the only reliable. I'm guessing there had to be a lot of gas coming out of that cauldron so that when that arrow passed anywhere near it, it would yeah. ignite it. Yeah. But he did a it great must job. Have been, I mean, it must have been a whoosh. Yeah. It was quite spectacular. Could you I, hear I it? would say... They have tried to do spectacular things since then, but they've never really done it like this. They've no, this got is... high tech and fancy and all this and that. It's become this whole big secret of who will light the torch, who will this, and, you know, all that thing. But back here, it was the guy with the arrow, and that was that, you know? Just amazing. And again, credit where credit's due, Paralympic archer Antonio Rabolo. Uh, just an absolutely perfect shot. Now, composition-wise, you're mounting this camera. You got a 20 millimeter lens on it, and but you're mounting. You mounted this during the day, or you yeah. mounted it at night before this? No, during the day. I mean, we okay. We probably you got the opening ceremony is crazy. I mean, you probably go in at uh, if you're if you're inside, even you know. Uh, you probably go in around just after lunch and you're there and you're checking your, your positions, where you're going to shoot from, you're setting your remotes. It's a, it's an all day event. And so, um, so by the time, you know, the ceremony started, which was around, I mean, it's Spain, it was, everything starts late. So it was around eight o'clock just for the start. I'd already been there at least, at least eight hours, six to eight hours. So, you know, so just prepping everything. The, you're mounting this thing, this camera, right, during the daytime, but you're trying to frame it right. And here's what I just, I dig about this shot. The balance, that you, the, the balance and spirit that you got in this image. So you've got on the right-hand side, again, if you're not watching on video, this is one of those photos where if you're listening to the audio version of the shot, you really need to go to the website and look at it. On the right-hand side, again, you're, you're, the camera's at the top row of seat type thing, 
And you're in a very dark area because you're 20 millimeter, you're far away. The rest of the stadium, you can, and you're behind everybody. So even if they're holding lights, you can't really see them. But the rest of the stadium, you're facing them, you can see lit up. Upper right corner is this just huge fire on top of a cauldron, which is balanced perfectly on the left-hand side of the frame by a spire that's way, way, way in the distance, but lit up and lit up the same color in this shot. So that balances that really well. Then rule of thirds type thing is where the, on the bottom left rule of thirds is where those Olympic rings are projected down on the field area. And something I didn't mention in the beginning is the flags. That's another thing that tells you Olympics is you have this line with a spotlight coming right out of them of all the country's flags. You had to pre-guess. You set it up during the day. You had to guess the exposure. Did you, and 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 even then, even, even if you had during the rehearsal at night or something had kind of gotten an idea, did you have any idea the dynamic range for film that would be in this shot? <laughs> It was a stretch. It was a stretch to, to get it printed and, and you can see, and then we've had, obviously it's been scanned and we've used it digitally a whole, a whole lot, but yeah, it's just, we just got the ends right. You know, the, the, the flame, there's not a lot of detail in the flame. It's got a little glow to it, but it's there. But there's and detail then, in the glow. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there is. And then the stadium looks great and everybody, those are little point and shoot cameras back then that everybody had. Oh, those That's are flashes. flashes. Yeah. Yeah. Which explains then, the color. I was actually, I was going to ask you about yeah. why those, cause they're almost that, that blue flash type. That's type what they color. are. And nobody ever thought to turn off their flash and try and make an actual night exposure. So they're all getting like nothing much, but, but, uh, yeah, that's, you know, it's like a, you're a music photographer. So like at a concert, that's what you used to see. I mean, I remember the first time this is going to date me. Yeah, but I, I shot digital. Beatles. I didn't do it with film. <laughs> yeah. But I saw the Beatles. It was constant. We were in a 15,000. It was a Chicago amphitheater. And uh, the light from the flash, along with the screen, was like one flashing light and one long screen the whole time. So that's what that's what they are in the background. Okay. You're again, you're setting this up though. And you, you're at this point, you've got to guess, right? Yeah. You don't yeah. know a, you don't know how dark the main part of the stadium is going to be based on lighting. They could have only lit the bottom and you only had an arrow coming up, but you ended up with that spotlight up at the top, right? Uh, behind by the flags. Right. You didn't know how bright that it's like me when I shoot a day to remember or kiss or somebody like that, that's got flames you didn't know how bright that cauldron was going to be. So in your head, and this applies to today, in your head, as you're looking at this, trying to plan this shot, what are you thinking to try and settle on, you know, I'm going to use F5.6, I'm going to use F8, I'm going to, what are you using to try and make sure, because I'll be honest with you, I'm not that good. This would have either been a ball of black or a ball of white if I had done this. So what well, did you as use? Well, it could have been for me. I mean, I, I will take credit oh, come for on. finding the shot, composing the shot, putting the camera in the right place and all that. 
but there's some things, I mean, sometimes things just go beyond. I mean, I had no idea. We had no idea um, that this was going to be, you know, I didn't set out to take an iconic picture. I just set out to take, it's usually the opening ceremony as colorful as it is. It's kind of boring and you're really there to shoot sports and you kind of go to it because you have to. And I always hate it because it keeps you up way late the first night. So you start behind on sleep, all that. But I mean, I, I, I did the best I could, but I was surprised as anyone when this came out as well as it did. So I, I, I got to be honest about it. it. Just When was the first time you saw it, right? You're at the Olympics working. You're shooting this on film. You've got to give it to Kodak to process in their lab to get back. So you obviously didn't see it this night. No, when was the, the how long morning. did it take for you to actually go? I wonder how that came out. Oh, look. Yeah, the, ne the next morning because they were, you know, this was a uh, opening ceremony is a Friday night. Uh, we closed uh, at we closed at that time on Monday, so we're doing we're 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 doing this first Olympic issue like fast because we want to get as much of it. We want to get, we got the first gold medal, which is usually on Saturday. We got the other events and we just crammed it in. But this was like the opener of the magazine. And uh, it was actually because they used the Archer and then the picture. So it was actually four pages. But so it was up the next day. I mean, there was a, all the publications had offices in the, this one building called the main press center. And it's where the committees were and there was places to eat and all that. So we would we would tack up our layout sort of along the partitions, and so I saw it the next day, and and, and it was laid out the next day. And, and Put a big smile no, on your face. It did. It did. It, it <laughs> set set me up for the whole rest of the games. You know, start start off. How do I live up to that the rest of yeah, the week? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Been yeah. trying to ever since. But yeah. uh, no. It, uh, no, How it, would it, it was, this, so, so this was processed in a Kodak lab. You had nothing to do with the darkroom. No, no, this is Kodak had their lab in the main press center. So basically we had runners, we had our little envelopes that the film would go in. It would go into them. We had people in the lab who were exclusively basically working for us and supervising our film going through, making sure it got back to us as soon as possible. So it was, the editors probably saw it by the end of the night because they just they would work into the night, but it got laid out. The, the photo editors, then then the magazine editors uh, saw it the next day, and that's when they laid it out. And and that's not hugely different. There are large music festivals, iHeart Music Festival in Las Vegas, where you have a a team of photographers that turn their cards in. They go into what is effectively a lab, which is a bunch of people sitting on laptops doing post processing. Do you have any idea? in the dark room, not, not considering scans today. Do you have any idea what was done? Did they dodge and burn? Did they do any of that? Do you know? I don't know. I mean, you, there's Would nothing you, you can do with, with a transparency. Transparency comes out and that it's been in so long. It's been developed that whatever push you gave it or, or whatever, and boom, there it is. Now, the next thing that happened even then was that they were scanned. So that was, and I will say Sports Illustrated had the best imaging people in the world. And so they would, they saved some, um, they did some amazing things scanning off film well before anybody did all this stuff in digital. And we had these big SciTech scanners. And so at that point, there were adjustments. I don't think there was any, there was certainly no Photoshop in, in, in the 80s, but they had software and they had imaging 
you know, imaging right. software to help them. And so they, I'm sure, did some work on it. But uh, but it's pretty much because I've had it scanned since. It pretty much scans out the way you know. It's it's pretty much that way on film. I mean, you didn't have that much latitude. If you were to shoot this today, is there anything that you would do different? Or if you if you walked into a stadium now that you've got 41 Super Bowls under your belt, and which you didn't obviously in in the mid 90s, if you walked into this scene today and went. You're, you're doing what? You're shooting an arrow through the, yeah, right. Luck, good luck hitting it. What would you do differently with the camera setup, the exposure? Obviously you'd probably use pocket wizards now, but maybe even not. What would you do different setup wise? Not much. I mean, I probably would have still gone around. I, I really do think it was F8. I mean, you know what? You know, the only thing I can draw uh, comparison is shooting fireworks. This is basically good, good analogy, actually, yeah. and then that's where you like to go. And I'm not good at it, but the good things, you know, you want to go about F8, you want to go a quarter to a half a second, you don't want it to blow out. And so, although I didn't consciously think of this as that, that's the the most similar thing I can think of in terms of a photographic situation. But I really wouldn't do anything different, and maybe a pocket wizard, but pocket wizards great as they are when it comes down to the money shot i take a hard wire any day you know there's always something there's one you know you can test them and test them but there's always one more tv frequency that gets turned on only when they run the 400 meter race or only when they shoot the arrow yeah. and that's the one that gets you yeah i can so, I, and especially on a production the scale of the olympics especially yeah. today I don't care what you're doing. There are so many radios, yep. so many frequencies in use. Just the fact that wireless microphones work, people don't realize what an amazing feat it is oh, that yeah. somebody can be with a wireless microphone on a stage at a Super Bowl singing and actually not get interference. It's, yeah. it's shocking. So a shot like, like this one, Opening ceremony, Barcelona Olympics. What does a pro like you take away from this? And even better yet, I guess, would be what if you have non-pro sports photographers, right? People who are going out and, you know, you mentioned high school football. People that are going out are buddy Scott Heath and, and photographing their kids playing water polo or photographing high school football or baseball or photographing their kids in AYSO soccer. A shot at this level of sports photography, even though there's not an athlete in it per se, same concept. What can a non-pro sports shooter take away from this? Well, I think, and, and I think that the thing that I always stress about this shot is preparation. It's foreknowledge. You know, if you, you know, as they say in the camera, if you see it, you missed it. Um, you really need to know what's going to happen. And, and if you're, you know, I know in gymnastics, figure skating, those sports, I always go and watch the warmups, watch the routines because, because the skaters or the gymnasts about two hours before their session will be out there and they will be running their routine. They will just, you know, it's a little confusing because there's a lot of them out there, but if you have one or two people that you want to get a very special picture of, you watch that routine because that's what they're going to do. And this is the same kind of thing. This is preparation. When you're going into any sport, you need to know as much as you can about it. 
I mean, certainly you can find reference. I, I talk, you know, my book, which is currently out of print, but coming back in print, we're going to self publish it, uh, talks about a lot of tips on, on different sports, but, but really, you know, the more, you know, about the sport, the team, the athlete, the better chance you have of getting a great picture. Yeah. And I have an advantage in music photography in that I can go Google, uh, you know, your favorite band name here, Mm -hmm. 2019 live so that I can actually find live pictures of the current tour to get an idea of what the set looks like, what the position of each musician is, who's on the left, who's on the right. Is there anything blocking the drummer? Is the drummer got a clear shot only from the left? I can watch YouTube videos of the live performance to find out what hand, you know, a, a singer sings with so that if it's always the right hand, I probably mm-hmm. want to be on the left. Yes. Um, yes. You know, how they pull away from a microphone and the guitar goes left or their head, that type of thing. You can't do that with an Olympic routine because usually it's a routine they haven't performed somewhere else mm-hmm. and and they'll hold it. But when you move into, when you move into normal live sports, let's take the three majors, basketball, baseball, football. Start with football. What's your one main huge tip aside from preparation, which if you don't know the game, anticipation's out, right? You can't anticipate if you don't understand. But aside from that, what's a tip that applies only to football? Well, I mean, to kind of turn that around for pretty much all youth sports, I think the one thing that people don't think of enough is backgrounds. Is trying to find a good, clear background. And I know it's tough in those chain link fence, cars, moms and dads in folding chairs. But if you can find a clean background. Poles coming out of their head. Yeah. You can find a clean background. You've got a a leg up. Uh, Obviously, another thing um, is to shoot low. Especially, you know, the younger the kids are, the shorter they are, you're not going to see them eye to eye unless you get low. So get get down on your knees if you can. I say that if you can, um, but, um, you know, shoot low backgrounds. Um, I think football, I really like to shoot football a lot from the end zones. I think that's really where you get, but obviously if if somebody, let's say they got a a 70 to 300 zoom, they can't stay in the end zone all day. So they've got to move, but you know, again, being aware of, is this team going to run a lot? Is are they passing? Who's its favorite receiver? That kind of thing. That's especially in, in high school and youth sports. That's the kind of thing that really they don't have a lot of variety. I mean, when you well, get and if you're pros, shooting your kids team, most likely you kind of know because you've seen them a yeah. lot how they play. Yeah. If you were in the end zone, though, what's what's the lens you want? The four hundred. I want the four hundred, and then I want the seventy. Uh, you know, uh, twenty four to seventy around my neck because I want when they come running in. Oh, okay, that's, the, gotcha. short, that's right. the short lens shot. So two bodies. That, that's what you get, which are just totally jammed with the 400. So that's what, hence the two cameras. What about baseball? Anything unique about baseball, you'd say? Maybe not. Well, you, you have less, um, you know, you have less ability to control. I mean, the thing I like about football is you can shoot it pretty much from anywhere. And you, you so you kind of, based on your anticipation or your knowledge, you could go deep, you know, you can go way down the field because you think they're going to throw deep. You can go around behind the line of scrimmage because you think they've got a great defense, all that. Baseball, you're kind of stuck where you're stuck. Uh, but I think, again, trying to find the cleaner backgrounds, um, 
just just again and knowing you know where you know where your kid is playing or whoever you're shooting knowing you know what they do at the plate again knowledge knowledge yeah knowledge is always king anything unique about basketball basketball to me is is the league i enjoy shooting it i i had a great run but the thing is you know where they're going to go they're always going to the hoop so in that sense it's a little obviously is he a right-handed shooter or left-handed shooter you know all that kind of stuff comes into play and where again where you're going to be able to shoot because basketball has become a lot more restrictive in terms of positions on the floor or do you want to go up which sometimes works a lot better especially you're in a very dimly lit high school gym. You don't want to be on the floor shooting up into, you know, these crappy lights. You go up in the stands, you shoot down, you shoot with, and, and you'll, you'll get a lot more light right. down on them. So I think that's something to think about that people sometimes miss. Okay. Pop, pop question. One photographer that you think people may not know about, or they may know about, but that you think everybody should know about, and go look up Mark Kaufman, Mark Kaufman. Okay. Yeah. He was one of the original sports illustrated photographers. Um, he did some great work. He also worked for life and I'll just give you one more name from that era that people don't really hear about is Robert Rieger. Robert Rieger, uh, shot for SI for ABC. He did a show on, on the day show actually, um, called Monday, Monday Morning Quarterback, where he would photograph a game and then they would go over the pictures on Monday. He did a book called The Professionals on football, and I believe it's the American Diamond on baseball that are classics of Rieger and, and Mark Kaufman. Okay, good picks, good pick. By the way, what's the name of your book so people can watch for it when it, co- when uh, it gets re-released? Peter Reed Miller on Sports Photography. Okay, Peter Reed and, Miller and on we'll- Sports Photography, which then reminds me. Before we close this out, November 20th to 24th in Las Vegas, the Viva Las Vegas Peter Reed Miller Sports Photography Workshop. There is a link in the blog post. It's actually a Canon link. But if you just Google Peter Reed Miller Viva Las Vegas Sports Photography Workshop, you'll find it. And again, it's coming up end of November, the 20th to the 24th in Las Vegas. And if you're 41 Super Bowls, I'm just saying, if you're going to take a sports photography workshop, Seriously, that's the one that you want to take. Uh, Peter, thank you so much. I do want to let everybody know if you've been watching the video version of the podcast, then you've been seeing under Peter lower thirds pop up with his website and his Instagram and his Facebook. All of that is in the blog post at BehindTheShot.tv. It's also on his website, which is PeterReadMiller.com. And it's Reed, R-E-A-D. So PeterReadMiller.com. So head to his website. You can get all his social media stuff there. Peter, thank you so much for joining me. Steve, thanks for having me. This has been great. Yeah, and if the if anybody's watching that happened to also be at the F64 Live, you kind of know what I'm talking about, too. We're talking about a leg- legend here, and I so appreciate your joining me and taking part of your day out. I do want to remind everybody that we've got the Flurn discount code, so you can get 20% off on Flurn, uh, P-H-L-E-A-R-N.com, Aaron Nace's uh, creation, And it's a wonderful way to learn some stuff. Aaron is an amazing teacher. And if you sign up for a Flurn subscription, Behind the Shot 20 as a code, the number 20, not the word 20, that'll save you 20% on a Flurn subscription. Flickr, Don Komarechka and I are going to be doing, if you you don't, by the way, watch Photo Geek Weekly with Don Komarechka, 
you really definitely should. Uh, Don and I are going to start doing some critique shows. We'll probably just put them up on YouTube because you're going to need to see it. It won't work really well in an audio format. Um, so we're going to start those probably mid-November. So you've got time. Go sign up for Flickr. You don't have to do a pro membership. You can do the free membership if you want to on Flickr. And then go join the Behind the Shot group on Flickr and submit your images using the tag behind, uh, I'm sorry, BTS Critique. Almost lost myself on my own tag and I'm the one who created the thing. BTS Critique. You don't need the hashtag symbol on Flickr. You could put it but you don't actually need to. So make sure you head over there. I look forward to doing that with Don. It's going to be a lot of fun. We're going to just try and get you to the next level. We're not going to do five minute critiques on your portfolio or your image, right? We're going to try and just give you, the old saying is that people only listen to 10% of what they hear or retain 10% of what they hear. We're going to try and just give you the 10%. It'll just make it a little shorter and easier for you. So again, I'm Steve Brazel. Thanks for joining me for Behind the Shot. As always, the show where we try and get inside the mind of great photographers by taking a closer look behind one of their shots. We'll see you on the next show. Thank you.